Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast coming up on this episode. Zwift, a partner with the UCI for a virtual world championship and more. We have lots of detail and analysis. The Draft House, it's been the centre of the worlds. We have a peek behind the curtain. And a bit of a chat about naked Zwifting with some Belgians. What kind of Zwifting? <laughs> naked no. on my bike. Well, I really don't know where that naked cycling thing popped up from. Uh, more of that later. Well, just before I say hello to my co-conspirators, something of a stop press. Pete Donahue, who runs Team ZF, which used to be Zwift Fitness, and is someone who's given fantastic service to our community, needs our help. He and his family are grappling with a really serious health issue affecting his young son. Pete's one of the good guys, and it would be amazing if you could help a little. Take a look at the Zwiftcast listeners page for details, or the Team ZF page on Facebook. Thanks. Right on! The eyes of the cycling world were on Yorkshire last week, and fairly predictably, it rained and rained, and then it rained some more. Uh, but it didn't matter. The racing was great, with the possible exception of the men's elite road race, which was affected by the weather, but but not ruined. And thanks to the rain, the 2019 Worlds will live forever online because of our great and deep Yorkshire puddles. Nathan, yo, dude. Hey, how's it going, Simon? Pretty good, thanks. Let me just ask you, fella, the guy with the epic wrestle and slide, you must have seen him. He he was kind of all over his bike, looked like he might save it, and then boom, down he went and slid about 50 metres across the road. Um, would you have held on to that one, fella, do you think? Asking me just to tune my horn horn right off the bat. <laughs> from experience, I'm just, just as like, this is not like, ooh, pound my chest. It's from experience. Yes, I would have held it upright. But that's just oh. from experience. I usually don't go, ex- yeah, I usually don't go down in a <laughs> pack. Market, like, everyone around me is going down, and somehow I'm up still. I don't understand. So it hey. is the mountain bike, I think. Nathan Guerra, permanently upright. You might have to live up to that one. Uh, Shane, g'day, mate. Um, I know that <laughs> mad puddle was on the racing line for a TT rider, uh, and I'm not talking about um, the Nathan slide, as we'll now call it, uh, but I'm talking about the one where the guy nearly drowned. Um, but as a TT rider yourself, would you have ridden straight through it? I mean, that was never going to end well, was it? Yeah, look, you you probably wouldn't have known how deep it was and you've got to risk it for the biscuit, so the saying goes. Um, <laughs> his vision's probably only, I mean, when I was TTing, I'm looking at a picture here on the wall, my vision's probably two or three metres up the road, that's all. My yeah. position was so down and so low. And then to, you know, to try and judge a puddle's depth, you've got no idea. I think he's probably looked at that and went, you know what, it's never only a few inches deep, a little bit more than a few inches. Wow, what a slide. But I don't think he got hurt either because it's how quickly you stop not how quickly or hard you fall. It's just about the stopping. And he didn't stop for a while. I think he sort of almost passed his bike, didn't he? And almost went through the finish line with uh, the fastest time of the day on his butt. (laughs) Well, the the guy with the slide did. The the guy that nearly drowned, I actually don't even think he ever hit the ground. I mean, the water just kind of... (laughs) Aquaplaned. He broke his fall. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was, man, it was a rainy, rainy world. Um, I I was cringing, obviously. I mean, Yorkshire is known for being a bit rainy, a bit on the rainy side. But even by Yorkshire standards... That was pretty exceptional. Um, 
The women's race, uh, an absolutely epic ride by the winner. Uh, just the most fantastic ride, but perhaps not most most um, compelling spectacle to watch. The men's race, I thought, I mean, it was affected by the weather, but those last few laps were, I mean, you just don't really see pros suffer that much that often, do you, Nathan? No, not, well... <laughs> Not usually as far as the the cold and everything goes. I mean, it was interesting just seeing, I was um, doing multiple things at once while World was off to my right. And I made a comment to like in the middle of it all, it was like, essentially we're just watching people get off their bikes over and over again. Yeah. Like every other scene was this person has pulled out, this person has pulled out. So it must've been a really hard day on the bike. And I've, I, you know, I've been in those days, Iceman, it, it gets me back to one of the biggest mountain bike races of the year. Every year is November first week in November, set first Saturday in November. And it's usually either, Snow already on uh, snowing on the ground below freezing or just above freezing and rain and finishing that with frozen fingers. But then I mean they're out there for six hours. Oh, amount of changes of clothes. It's it's a hard day on the bike. Uh, I think a third of the field alone finished, Shane. And I mean the thing I noticed on the final closing circuits. I mean when when they popped. I mean Van Van der Poel uh, particularly. But when they popped, they popped big. Yeah, it was absolutely brutal watching it. I think there's so many superstars from many different countries. That's why they were covering who pulled out because you're like, oh, I know that guy. I know them as well. And yeah. I know them. They should be up there. But everyone has different roles as well. And did you hear the um, the post-race or the post-win interview there? The tactics from the winner said, look, I was meant to go up the road and my two teammates went to come across. They missed it. So what does he go and do? Goes and wins it. That's a pretty good story in itself. Mm. Um, but yeah, mm. brutal to watch. Absolutely brutal. And I won't be booking a holiday to the UK anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, previous cycling events in Yorkshire have actually, I mean, I mean really have. I mean, pe- pe- people say this, but it's really true. They have done wonders for the kind of um, tourist board. I'm, I'm not sure that this one did. Anyway, this episode is pretty much dominated by the big news that broke at the Worlds last week the long-awaited and very significant Zwift UCI partnership on eSports, virtual bike racing, call it what you will. We'll be covering that in depth and at length, I think as Zwiftcast listeners would expect. Um, I know maybe not every listener is as interested as we are, but do give it a chance, even if you're not interested in racing, because uh, when you listen to the interview with, with Craig Edmondson later, you'll see that this decision will potentially affect all Zwifters. So stay tuned to find out more. Um, but we do have a few other things in this episode that are not all about the Zwift UCI partnership, and one is coming up right now. Um, Zwift has continued its policy of aligning itself very closely with the biggest bike races in the world, either with the huge advertising campaigns, as we saw at the Tour de France and the Vuelta, or with a physical presence of, as at the Giro and the Worlds last week. Uh, the Draft House, Zwift's pop-up at the Worlds, was a really popular popular place, hosted a ton of events. I hung out there a fair bit. Well, they had uh, Zwift Craft Ales, so why wouldn't I? And it was a great focus for cycling fans, I must say. More of that in a moment. Even at the railway station in Harrogate, Zwift had a big presence. The ticket turnstiles were plastered in orange logos and there was a huge banner ad inside. So the big question, is this marketing blitz we've seen this year at all the big races, is it working? I decided to conduct a wholly unscientific, completely random survey of bike fans at the Worlds. Obviously, it was in a bar. 
Here's a bunch of guys enjoying a few beers after the racing today. So I've got a really simple question for you. Two questions, actually. Where are you from? Belgium. Great country. Have you heard of Zwift? I have. Do you Zwift? I don't uh, Zwift. If I can go cycle, I go outside. So I'm going to work my way around to the next guy. Are you also from Belgium? Yes. Do you Zwift? No, I don't. Same reason as him. But have you heard of Zwift? Yes, yes I have. Might you Zwift in the future? I don't think so. I, I'd like to go cycle outside. Okay, so uh, let's see if the uh, let's see if the attitude changes as we move around the table. Are you also from Belgium? Yes. Do you Zwift? Yes. Hey, we found a Zwifter. Okay, and what kind of Zwifting do you do? What kind of Zwifting? <laughs> <laughs> naked no. on my bike. No, 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 I don't want to talk about naked Zwifting. Do you do you race or do you just train? No, I just train. Racing sucks. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm guessing you may also be from Belgium. Oh, yeah, I am. Uh, same question to you. Do you Zwift? Nope. And same reasons uh, the two others. Uh, the two others. But you've heard of Zwift? Heard of Zwift. Okay, so we've got a majority and a minority opinion here. So we'll move around to the last guy. I'm just a wild guest. You might come from Belgium? I do. Do you Zwift? Nope. Never used it. Might you Zwift in the future? Yeah, you never know. Yeah, maybe. Had you heard of Zwift before you came to the world? Uh, I've seen uh, guys use it on Strava. That's how I heard of it, yeah. Okay, well, that's a very interesting bit of market research. Yeah. Great to see you guys. Enjoy the racing. Thanks for your help. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, guys, it seems to me, based on that <laughs> wholly unscientific survey, that the answer on the marketing push might, might very well be yes. I mean, very high awareness even if our Belgian friends, with one exception, were not active Swifters. Shane, there could have been a bit of playing up to the Belgian hardman stereotype there, do you think? Well, I said earlier in the show that I wasn't going to book any uh, holidays in the UK, but that sounds like a lot of fun over there. There was a lot of beers on tap. I'm not quite sure I'll be hanging out with a guy who Swifts naked, though. No ride-ons there. I'll be very careful where I put my thumbs-ups. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very careful. Uh, Nathan, we discussed this a bit before we recorded this, actually. Um, I think you'd be willing to bet that awareness kind of in your neck of the woods is maybe not so high. Not quite as high, mainly because cycling is not as big here. I mean, we're talking Belgium. I mean, I, I think actually most of Europe knows more about Zwift because cycling's just bigger in Europe. That's why the Americans go to Europe for training camps. That's why we have to go there for UCI points mainly. Um, so, you know, with uh, as not much awareness in cycling in general, we're just not going to be as aware as a population about the, um, you know, like people aren't going to even know what turbo trainers are. Like how many people in the UK know what turbo trainers are? A lot, I would think. Well, like how many every people... cyclist, every cyclist. Well, yeah. every cyclist. Yeah. yeah. And then every cy- almost how I don't know if every cyclist here though, the does, I mean, there's also kind of a reality of like, see, and what, what is a cyclist too here? It's so like, Oh, I'm a cyclist. I go and ride down the bike path two times a summer. It has been a huge marketing push um, this summer, and, and as I say, aligned with the biggest the biggest events in the bike racing world. Uh, I mean, certainly based on that, and certainly just just based on kind of walking around the worlds and chatting to people, and Swift's presence there, which did make a big difference. You know, it looks to me, uh, um, even though it's very resource intensive, 
um, it looks to me as though it is it is working this um, this strategy they they pursued, and part of that was the draft house, which really was the centre of the world's in Harrogate. Um, how was it? I wondered for the Zwift staff who put in plenty of hours over the week keeping the crowds happy, and um, many 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 hours before that getting it ready. So I talked to Obi Winter and Jacob Fraser, two of the team who helped make it all happen. Obi, um, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that without you, the draft house would not have happened. Don't be modest. It's definitely been a lot of work that's been put in by everyone on the team. Couldn't be done without a lot of input from a lot of people. Um, I personally have been doing this for quite a few months and uh, some of that has been solo. But um, I'm from Harrogate. I know what this building was like before. Just, just give us a little bit of insight into how long it's been planned and what's needed to happen to make it so exciting here this week. Yeah, I think when we first started looking for venues here, there weren't that many options that offered the amount of space and the kind of location that we were really after. And the possibility of turning over a new venue from pretty much a, a very boring office space, Cartridge World, and completely renovating it almost from scratch. Uh, well, that, I mean, that's what you did, that we should not put too fine a point on this. This was a shell. Uh, yeah, and uh, we stripped it back to literally walls and a, and a floor and uh, put it in services, you know, all of the all of the things that it needs. And uh, it's not been a small undertaking for sure. <laughs> I think um, we didn't make it easy for ourselves. We took the decision to, to go whole hog. And uh, I hope that it's uh, been worth it. Well, I think I, every time I've been here, and I've been here a number of times, the, the, the place has been jumping for sure. And, and uh, everything I've seen, all the feedback I've seen about it has been nothing but positive. However, I've got a friend who lives here and he'd be, he was driving past it like almost every day to go to his work and he said to me he whatsapped me about a week before and he said it looks like they've still got quite a lot of work to do as with quite a lot of things as Zwift do we like to push it to the wire and uh, we were painting walls and redoing cables up until the absolute 11th hour well that's, that's very understated of you Obi I know how much work has, has gone into this uh, and it, it has been a great success now uh, front of house here as he as he as he kind of almost always is actually given the the size of his, not only of his frame but also his personality is Jacob Fraser Jacob uh, last time we spoke was at Eurobank you were such an enormous hit on the podcast that I've decided that you're going to you're going to appear on every every episode subsequent and uh, here's your next chance um mate you've been kind of front of house here i guess uh if there's a problem it's like where's jacob um talk us through your worst moments first of all you're welcome you have one new subscriber my mother is now an avid listener of the Zwiftcast, so hi mom again totally worth it <laughs> uh as for a worst moment uh it's hard to either pin one down because they seem to come more often than not but the worst moments are honestly when it's packed in here and our staff is everyone's doing their job and we're moving a million miles an hour and and I think the absolute worst moment is trying to get from one end of the venue to the other because there's so many people in here that to get a message to the staff of something that needs to be done or something that needs to be fixed it's just difficult to physically get there so like Obi said absolutely fantastic problem to have and, and I'm certainly not complaining I don't think we've had a, a fall over moment or anything that even the audience would notice I heard a nasty room you'd run out of beer. Unfounded, man. Unfounded. We would never run out of beer at a Zwift party. You know that. Just talk us through some of the some of the best moments for you. Ooh, that's an equally hard question. We had 
obviously the UCI announcement for the 2020 Esports World Championship, massive moment. We had the, the Watts occurring podcast uh, with Garrett Thomas and Luke Rowe on it. We've had nightly races. Tonight we have Megan Jastrep racing in her rainbow jersey from the road race yesterday. Last night we had Quinn Simmons, the, the men's world champion, or excuse me, the, the junior men's world champion. Uh, Chloe Digar came by to say hello. There's just been literally every day filled with amazing, amazing moments. And again, like Obi said, it's a huge credit to the team that's put so much work into a place like this. Even like our content team bringing people by, our executive teams having their meetings with the UCI and things like that. Literally everybody on staff that's here is doing something really, really special to be celebrated. Uh, and for the public that have been here, I mean, I've seen this in my own eyes, it has been a real hub. It's been a place a place to come and be seen. Absolutely. And we as a, a company are, are rather disruptive. We've always known that. We lean into it. Uh, but more importantly, from the marketing side of things, we want to you know, defend our space and grow our brand. So to come into a city like Harrogate at a, an event like the World Championships, the World Road Championships, you want to make a statement. And I think that's something we did at Eurobike. That's something we did here. Uh, this is the place to be in town for sure. We have riders coming by in the morning. Uh, the, the Irish national team stopped by this morning. Yesterday, the women's Dutch team stop by. Uh, so it is the place to be if you're a fan, a rider, whoever you are, you want to come to the Zwift Draft House. Oh, you could have written the press release, Jacob. <laughs> uh, uh, but seriously, uh, both you guys did an amazing job, which I personally witnessed. Well done, the pair of you. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. I think what they've done here is that, you know, there's this mysterious quality that brands love, which is goodwill. Goodwill towards the brand. You know, soft, warm, fuzzy feelings towards the brand. And I, I think that that thinking lies behind something like the draft house. Do you? Do you? Yeah, I think so. As a consumer or as the end customer of these uh, of these products that they uh, put together, which is the experience of going there to this house, this beer house, um, I love them. In Australia here at the Tour Down Under, every year Rafa has a big warehouse space and it becomes the go-to place. It's not as if people can go to a pub and hang out there because it's a pub. It's not really just for cyclists or a cafe, not really big enough. They've had, they have a space for everyone to go. It's the Rafa Clubhouse and you just go and hang out. You can go there. There'll be someone you know there all the time throughout the entire day. Coffee, music, bikes, you can buy stuff. It just sounds like they've copied that or you know, used that model to create a place to go at the Worlds because where else would you go? I guess a pub um, or down the street or at a cafe. So I, I, I like the idea. Yeah, yeah. It would be absolutely fascinating. I mean, there's no way of, of finding out, but it would be absolutely fascinating to know how many people went into the draft house, tried Swift for the first time and then became paying customers. I mean, I, I would think the conversion rate was, was probably pretty high, actually. Um, anyway, that's it. That was uh, Zwift at the Worlds, um, certainly in, in experience terms, but um, Zwift at the Worlds was also very significant milestone, actually, in, in the company's development. The Zwift UCI partnership, uh, as announced at the Worlds, will lead to the eSport World Champs in Switzerland in September 2020 and other national championships running up to that event. And Zwift is pitching hard beyond that to make competitive virtual cycling an Olympic sport. Here's how the world got to know about the Zwift UCI partnership as UCI President David Lapartion made the announcement. Already extremely popular worldwide, e-cycling has enormous potential to grow further. This is why I'm delighted today to announce a memorandum of understanding between the UCI and the global online training and racing platform Zwift. 
From next year, the UCI will organize the UCI Cycling Esports World Championships. These championships will be the highlight of the UCI International Cycling Esports calendar. This calendar will include national and continental championships serving as qualification for the UCI World Championships. Zwift will be the exclusive provider for all qualifying events for the 2020 UCI Cycling Esports World Championships. This is great news for riders, fans and our sport in general. Well, that was David Lapatian. I think he, I'm wagering he's maybe not a household name to 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 all Zwifters. Um, so I buttonholed him after the announcement and peppered him with a few questions, trying to get to know him a bit better. Well, I'm delighted to be with the president of the UCI, David Lapatian. Hello, David. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Did Zwift have to convince you very hard, or were they pushing at an open door here? First of all, I tried Zwift myself. I'm a little bit riding on, on Zwift, and I saw immediately the potential. When you are the president of UCI, not able to ride you know, uh, during the day with a lot of meetings, the only opportunity for me sometimes is to ride uh, late in the evening or very early in the morning, but it, it's dark outside. So uh, Zwift really provide me the, the opportunity to ride, and my wife too, so we are sometimes fighting to use the Zwift station. Have you raced on Zwift? Not yet. I just train for the moment. When I will be ready, I will be ready to race. But no, I never, I never raced on, on, on Zwift, but I train a little bit. Well, we look forward to seeing you racing on the platform. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. OK, well, that's all jolly interesting stuff, but let's get down to detail, because that's what we really care about here on the Zwiftcast. And there's no better person to provide that detail than Craig Edmondson, the CEO of Zwift's eSports business. Now, this is a very long delayed interview. I think both Craig and I have been waiting for this announcement so we can talk publicly about what's so far obviously been kept reasonably confidential. It's a long one, this interview, so I split it into several parts and myself, Shane and Nathan will discuss each bit after we've heard it. Let's take the first and arguably most important topping, fair play and the word, whether that be mechanical, electronic or physiological doping. I think it's a, it's a, a step change for us, uh, but most importantly what it allows us to do is to build out all of the robust governance, the competition structures, fair play, all of the principles that create integrity in sport and we're establishing a new discipline um, for cycling, that's what the partnership with the UCI is all about and it enables us to build from the community which is you know, from its infancy uh, when Zwift first started in, in 2014 people wanted to compete, they wanted to race, they've done that informally um, but over time that has grown and developed and as a business we, we see the opportunity there to not only deliver a competition structure that benefits all of cycling at a global level but it, we deliver better and more compelling racing for the community that we have today. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. Let, let's start with, with some of the difficult stuff. I mean, the words were used very prominently on stage. They were amongst the first words you just used in your first answer, and that's fair play. Now, we know cycling's history, and we also know, given community racing has existed for a number of years, that ensuring fair play in a virtual environment may be even more difficult than ensuring fair play in the real world environment. I mean, how on earth do you intend to set about that? Well, it's, it's, it's all about making it fun, is the starting point. And, you know, 
fair competition is fun competition. That's the that's the principle we had to adhere to. And the benefits I believe that we'll have from working with someone like the UCI is that that governance structure with really robust rules and regulations and the application of those rules and regulations as well. So I've, I have absolutely every confidence that in creating this new discipline that we'll achieve that. The other part of this is it's not you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cycling discipline that's born from gaming and we don't have to reinvent the wheel. The, one, of the, one of the true benefits we have is the gaming industry, billions of dollars are invested into it every year and you know, technological fraud is an issue that they've had to deal with and they've, they've built processes over the last 20 years in which to address it. Now, uh, I think some of, the, some of the key areas here to consider are you know, businesses like Amazon, you know, they're bringing in machine learning, which is looking at uh, a variety of approaches to, to uncover you know, technological fraud. Uh, but that's just for our remote races. But naturally, again, in the esports world, most roads lead to an in real life event. It gives us the ability to have uh, certified hardware, riders on, on Zwift stations, which we know meet the standards and the specifications that are required, especially when we want to award things like world titles, continental titles, national titles, and in particular when prize money is involved. Uh, it gives us that, um, that structure, and you know, I believe we're gonna work towards that. I mean, the, the technological fraud, countermeasures you, you can kind of understand and you could see how they would work what cycling has always struggled with is human fraud if I might call it that will you be partnering with the UCI in such a way as the UCI's anti-doping measures for example and, and, and sanctions and the rigor that the UCI tried to bring to the sport is that going to be applied to to what we see on, on Zwift absolutely I mean this is a it's a, it's a new discipline in the UCI constitution and it all of ex exactly the same principles that are applied to road cycling, track cycling, BMX racing, whatever it might be, this is, uh, it will be applied to, to esports as well. And so, so, I mean, sorry to interrupt, so we could, we could see dope tests at IRL events? Absolutely, and we could also see it in remote races as well. Uh, once a rider is, is participating at an elite level, then they could become part of the anti-doping codes and procedures that apply. And that is built out of how people like British Cycling at a, at a national level operate, but also the UCI at a world level. Uh, we, we already look at um, the data and we have algorithms that run across it for anomalies. We can highlight abnormal behavior or abnormal results. And you, you know, we've seen disqualifications that have happened in the past because we have access to that data, which if you think about cycling more broadly, that typically isn't the case. So all things from my perspective are leading to a, a much more um, secure and safe environment for fair competition because we can build on what esports already has today. We have this platform which is digital, uh, all of the data is at our fingertips and partnering with someone like the UCI, which is, you know, this is a monumental announcement for us today. Uh, it enables us to give um, people who want to compete and compete on their own terms, the confidence that they're going to be doing it in a way um, where they know that their successes can be applauded. Okay, guys. Well, I, I kind of made no apology for raising that with Craig as the first topic. It did keep, come very high up in the announcement that the stress and emphasis on fair play, as I think we have discussed on here many, 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 many times, um, uh, Zwift have got to find a way to be able to guarantee fair play and to be able to root out doping uh, of any kind as effectively as possible, um, as, as the wider the, the wider sport of cycling has to do. Um, 
Nathan, were you persuaded by the measures that Craig laid out there? Uh, yes, they were really general, but I liked what I heard. The the call to what's already going on in esports in the digital spaces, they've already dealt with these things. There's way to do ways to do that. The funnel toward the the cream of the crop and being able to like root things out where it's really needed. Um, you know, but I, I was, and then, and then also having a little more bite and then taking things more seriously, it sounds like too, like so far Zwift have run events, not races. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what's been going on. Like racing has not been run by Zwift. I don't think people really understand that either out there. Like Zwift power has been the place where things have been going down and the community and community organizers have been policing things all the way up to the KISS Super League. Why was it named KISS? Right. So and that's because a lot of the governance now at that point, some of the government started to get mixed. But for the last four years, any DQing or all that kind of stuff was really going down within the community. So having more bite on it, being able to recognize things uh, the way that esports traditionally has done, because, you know, it's funny. We've said this so many times, but for some reason, cyclists think that we have this like, um, special circumstance because we ride bikes and it's like, well, we might have a couple of little different things, but there's all kinds of people botting out there to win in Apex Legends and PUBG and every other skill-based game online. If people are in a competition, they're going to be, you know, a lot of people are going to be finding ways to cheat if it's cycling or any other sport. So I was really encouraged by a lot of the things he said, and especially also the fact that they're going to be looking at human fraud, like you were saying with the whole, uh, you know, do- actual uh, biological doping stuff too. It sounds like they're taking the, um, everything to not just the next step, but like all the way to the top of what needs to happen. So I like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and it does need to happen. Shane, um, I mean, let's not pretend that, that, that detecting doping of any form is easy. It, it's not, you know, I mean, not all cheats, but some cheats are very smart, you know, and they, they cheat good. Um, Zwift do have this enormous amount of data. And as Craig said, you know, they should be able to tap into the expertise that's come from the game world about using data to detect stuff that, that betrays cheating. But but Craig did hold up this prospect of, you know, somebody who is not in, in, a, in a, a grand final in a venue, just somebody remote racing at home may be subjected to a dope test. I mean, is that realistic? Hmm. Look, this is this is a very interesting topic, and I was looking forward to recording this episode because there's a lot of unknowns here. But it's the discussion that's starting to happen now that we're going to see the results for in the very near future. So, winding back a little bit for me, fair play is about regulations and rule enforcement, which is what Nathan touched on. Uh, and then rule enforcement to date, again, which is what Nathan touched on, hasn't been done to date by Zwift. They've been pretty light on. It's almost non-existent. It's done at the community level, and that's for a reason. They don't really want to boot paying subscribers. So, within all this framework, will the UCI or where the UCI will provide the rules and regulations, who enforces, who becomes that digital sledgehammer to say, no, you out, go. That's going to be a tough one. Um, And also in regards to the cheating in hardware and the human side of things, looking at the hardware side, in-person events don't guarantee hardware can't be compromised. The current tech that we have at the moment is open for exploitation. There's some exploits we know about, but even worse, it's the exploits we don't know about that could be in play or could potentially be in play. So, there's a lot of problems to solve here. It's going to be very interesting to see. But with the UCI on board, there's a lot of people going to be involved in solving these problems. So exciting times. It is. And I think, you know, the reason this is so significant, this announcement, 
is is that between the lines, as as you said, you know, Zwift have not been proactive in booting people. And, you know, as a result of this announcement, the logical conclusion of, 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 of the fact of the announcement and the partnership with the UCI is that they absolutely are going to have to change that attitude, um, certainly in competitive Zwifting. I mean, signing up to, to, to the partnership with the UCI just makes that impossible not to do. So um, very, very interesting development. And, and one of the reasons I think this is, is so significant. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, Can yeah, I yeah, add go. quick, Simon, just real quickly? In the rest of the cycling disciplines, we see something very similar to what you just asked, though, about is it realistic for people who are Zwifting at home to be subject to blood to, to any kind of, mm. uh, of doping tests, right? If you hold a professional license in the USA, at least for my for, for my cycling as a pro, at any point I could have yep. somebody come to my door as if I am on the and, and they could knock and say, Can I yep. have a sample? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and I if I didn't give it. I was eliminated from, you know, I could have a suspension or a ban yeah, or yep, whatever. Same, so same here. Um, yep. it's the same, same idea. If you're a part of that level, if you sign up to a certain level, I could see that being an expectation that you just sign on to. And then at that point, I kind of like it because it raises the stakes. So what you're doing at home yep. matters, right? Like, so I yep. think that's kind of cool. What do you yeah. got the high? No, 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 right? no. I mean, I think the principle is fine. I, I just guess that, you know, how often does the average Cat 3 or Cat 4 racer here get a knock on the door with a man with a test tube? You know, probably. Yeah, well, I don't know if they're doing that. Yeah, I think at the pro level only probably. But, yeah, well, but interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe the threat alone of that will will have an effect. All right. Well, look, we've got to let, uh, we do have a lot to get through. So let's turn to the events themselves. Uh, what are they and what are they going to look like? Here's Craig. Could you just give us a little more detail about the flagship event in 2020? So yeah, the, it's in collaboration with UCI. Uh, people know Zwift Racing today. You know, it's typically a scratch race. Uh, quite often it's about 45 minutes in length. There are certain courses uh, across our maps which are more aligned to, to Zwift Racing than others. Um, but I think if you can think about the progression that will go on, we'll start to build more specific courses which benefit different types of racers, you know, races with different types of physiology. Uh, you could see multiple races, not just single standalone races. You could see individual competition, team competition. And this is actually something which we want to partner with the community around. You know, we want to work with the existing race organisers. Uh, we'll probably organise our own events where we can start to see the professionals and amateurs competing together, a bit like with the Zwift Classics, and build and develop it over time. But what we want to do is build and develop something that works for people. It's not something that's just going to be uh, concocted or you know, the ideation process is done in isolation. You know, we are a community-driven, a connected um, platform. So that's, that's, that's kind of what it's about. Now, how this manifests itself, we want to make sure that anyone in the world, irrespective of where you live, what gender you are, what age you are, you can have a world championships experience, you can have a continental experience, you can have a national championship experience, and there'll be other experiences um, beyond that. Uh, and we want to collaborate uh, and partner with not only the institutional side of sport, but the people that uh, are driving the sport forwards in the, in the first place, uh, and that is the, the participants. I, th I think one question that's generally going to be asked is, is, is there a place, do you think, for existing World Tour pros or teams in, in this grand vision that you've begun to outline today? Uh, absolutely, yes. I mean, we... We want the, I mean, the, the, the concepts of having a world championships 
would, would naturally lend itself to having the best athletes in the world on our platform uh, and competing in those events. Now, I think eSports itself, there will be specialists who will, will form over the longer term. And you see it today where some riders um, cross disciplines, you know, whether you're in a cyclocross race in the winter months or in a road cycling event in the summer, I think eSports will naturally become part of riders' portfolios. Uh, and, and the way that they um, look to peak at different times of the year or just to have variety because I think there's a new generation that is coming through of riders who, who aren't so specialised so early on uh, and they're looking at uh, multiple opportunities. And you know, who knows what the future's going to hold? Um, you know, it could be that it becomes complementary and it's part of someone's uh, cycling mix or it might be that uh, Swifters um, start to specialise and we have eSports specialists like you do have specialists in other disciplines today. Um, that's the exciting part of this journey is you know, we're, we just feel really privileged to be able to build and create and develop something uh, which is going to uh, just, it's just going to just create new, new opportunities for people but in an inclusive way. Cycling never has really boasted large prize purses for winning races. Where, where, where do you see prize purses or, or prize money figuring in, in the vision? I mean, prize money is, is definitely going to be a part of this. We naturally want to reward people for being a part, you know, being, being a part of our racing experiences. Uh, what that prize money will become, I think that it will be determined uh, in time, and I don't have a clear, a clear view on that today. Uh, but the, the idea of professional sport, professional gaming, uh, which is what this is about. People are competing, but they're competing in a fair environment and they're competing for two things, really. One is status and achievements, whether it's personal achievements or uh, something like the, the rainbow jersey, which you know I'm, I'm unbelievably excited about. That, to have uh, Zwift Esports World Champions cycling around in, in, our, in our world, in our maps and in our courses um, with those virtual jerseys on. Uh, but but it's, it's also a uh, driver is people need to be able to have a career and they need to have it on a, on a sustainable way. And one of the founding principles of esports is to create a sustainable sport, not just something that means that we have a long-term future um, with Zwift Esports and, and our partners like the UCI, but also we can start to create new career opportunities for, for riders who are out there. You know, one of our, on our, one of our grand ambitions is to, you know, at a minimum, and this is where we start, is to meet the criteria for acceptance of the Olympic Games. Ultimately, we want to be a part of the Olympic Games, and by going on that journey, it just creates a, a whole new opportunity. Uh, and, and that opportunity is really how do you find the next generation working with the federations with talent ID programs to uncover the, that talent uh, who naturally will go on to an Olympic pathway. And some might end up on the podium in Paris in 2024 or in Los Angeles in 2028, either in an esports discipline uh, or it could be in another cycling discipline which is already part of the Games. Uh, and that's the, that's the, the beauty of this. Uh, and the position that we're in is being able to create something from scratch. Shane, well, I mean, a lot of that, you know, you would, of course, expect anyone in the world, no matter what age or gender, can take part. Of, you know, of course, they want community participation, of course. Um, the, we started to get interesting, I think, when I asked Craig whether we might see a World Tour pros take part, and he was pretty convinced that, that they would. Um, again, realistic? 
Uh, for a World Tour Pro to take part in something like this, it is very, very good for the sponsors because it's all about exposure. So they should. Whether it fits in the calendar, oh, that's going to be a tricky one. I think it's already come up a few times with other events that Swift has already held. Um, hmm. Hmm. Don't know. I mean, I guess I, what, what he was saying was that we might see a different kind of World Tour pro rider, perhaps. Uh, you know, so maybe there's a World Tour pro rider who who doesn't run, uh, ride the Grand Tours, but he's a, a big part of the team and he or she may ride track events. And if they ride track events, then you could see that those that kind of skill set translating very well to what we should call, I don't know, what should we call it, digital race. I don't think um, we'll see superstars be invented from this platform. We want to see superstars be brought in first until it really establishes itself. Mm. And then we might have the E-Sagan come along or the E-Anna Philippe yeah. come along. Not just yeah. yet, though. I don't yeah. think. Maybe give it a two or three years. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a word that Craig used a lot was journey, and 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 I think we have to give them that. Yeah. You know, it, it, this is a journey, and and could be a long one. Um, direct quote, I think, from Craig um, Nathan. Ultimately, we will want to be part of the Olympic Games, uh, and I mean, I think they do have a plan for this. You know, they're looking at a demonstration sport and then a full sport within the next two to three Olympic cycles. Again, possible. Yeah, I think so. Um, what Olympic sports, I guess, okay, mountain biking is one, actually, one that's really close to my heart, obviously, where we don't have it quite, at least here in the US, it isn't quite as household, but it's definitely growing. So we have a lot less spots, I guess. So I could see a situation where like Zwifting is really big in a lot of different countries, right? And then like, it's like, awarded Zwifters are awarded a certain amount or, or Zwift or not, not Zwift, it's cycling esports is, is awarded a certain amount of spots for each country to participate in the Olympic event. Um, most Olympic events, uh, you know, have uh, a local infrastructure in every city in the world, right? They have, I mean, everywhere you look, it's household, right? And so in order to get there, you're going to have to have buy-in at a very local level all over the world, I think. With the UCI, though, backing it, there could be, um, for lack of better language, a propping up a little bit, uh, which we have seen with some sports that get into the Olympics. I think it's just like good timing, right, with the whole market where it's like the Olympic Games will be like, well, this really makes sense. And we want to have in real life sport mixed with gaming, too. And we're doing this and not just full on gaming. And, and I think they want more buy in then. It's kind of this like um, way to please all of those who are watching sport right now, because yesterday... Uh, yesterday I watched three different esports events, all with 250,000 to 500,000 live viewers just on one single platform. CSGO, Overwatch finals yesterday. I mean, there was, it was huge, right? Like th th it was amazing. And I think that there's just a reality that the Olympic games will start having to pay some attention to that because there's buy-in obviously there on a local level at every city. And so I think e-cycling and Zwift can hit a, a nice niche there. Yeah, look, I think Nathan nailed it with the timing side of things because um, we are talking about the uh, Olympic Games in is it it's next year, isn't it? 20, 2020 is the Olympic Games and then 2024 onwards, et cetera. So, again, coming back to the conversations we need to start having today about you know the future we will see. So it's good. The conversations are happening. It's, I'm keen to see where it goes. Yeah, well, I think that's an excellent point, Shane, and, and that is that this door is not only ajar, ajar at the moment, 
it's wide open. I mean, you can see that the UCI, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, who will make these decisions, you know, you can see the pitch to them now, can't you? It's about modernization. It's about digitalization. It's about extending participation. It's about modernize. you know, all those kind of words that you can just see, you know, uh, in sports governance buzzwords, you know, this, this hits all of them. And, and no doubt one of the reasons that it's, it's come to fruition this week at the Worlds. Okay, well, you can't have a new sport without an, uh, an audience, uh, whether that be a new audience or converting an existing audience. Who is going to watch this and why? Here's what Craig has to say about this. Cycling as a spectator sport is dramatic and spectacular and beautiful. Can virtual cycling ever be any of those things? And... How are you going to make this into a into a proposition that the people are going to watch? They're going to want to spectate because it's obviously got to be more about the more than just participation. You need an audience. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the fundamental principles are it needs to be competitive and compelling. Uh, it needs to be racing that's unpredictable, but it needs to be racing which we're able to um, build human interest and we're able to feature riders their stories, their development, uh, the journey that they're on. So it's, it's, this is not just about an avatar on a screen that's been powered by a nondescript person in some part of the world. Uh, this is about creating a full proposition. It's just where a means to achieving that. How are you going to make people watch it, Craig? So it's got to be exciting. You know, there's an entertainment factor to it. Uh, you know, we're looking at uh, you know, human interest is a natural part of this. Uh, we're looking at the type of structure. If you think about, we're building national, continental, world championships. People buy into territorial type um, sports structures, competition structures. You know, I, I watch the Olympic Games and I watch sports that I've never watched in my life. Yeah. But I want to watch Great Britain do well. Uh, curling. <laughs> w- whatever it yeah, might be. Yeah. And so there are key principles like that. There are also people just want to watch the best of the best. And if you're the best swifter in the world, and whoever that is today and whoever that might be in the future, our, our job as a, as, a, as a platform is to create uh, a compelling, you know, compelling storytelling that actually brings rivalries together, brings personalities to the fore. You know, there's a focus here on teams, there's a focus here on riders themselves, and we've just got to create a narrative that is entertaining. And you know, I believe that that's what we're going to we're going to deliver. And, and there is an element of this where you're looking at remote online only racing, and we can build a whole production around that, where we bring people to life. You know, the the efforts that they're putting in, in their in their own terms, in their own homes, or their, whatever environment they're racing in. These are people who are doing this, and and it's the people and it's their stories that we want to tell. Uh, and it, hopefully, a few of our you know listeners on Zwiftcast will have been down to the Zwift. Um, Craft House, uh, which is uh, here in, in Harrogate. We, um, we have racing every night in the venue and the atmosphere, the excitement of having racers race in real life with an audience is really compelling. I don't know, you, and there'll be lots of videos that'll be coming out from what you've seen over the last couple of days. But as, uh, right at the beginning of our conversation, we talked about all roads really leading to an in real life event. If you can imagine the best of what esports has to offer um, today in the professional gaming sense, arenas full of people, 
It's got giant screens, it's got riders on Zwift stations, multiple riders on Zwift stations, all competing head to head. But this is cycling in a, in a slightly different context. You know, the, the riders, they're not zipping past you and you're seeing them for 10 seconds or 30 seconds and seeing them disappearing down the road. The, the connection that uh, the best Swifters who are going to be competing in that environment and in, in those um, arenas, it will be, there will be a connection with an audience, which is something that cycling has never had. And what we're not saying is this is better than what cycling disciplines already exist. It's just, it's complementary, it's different. It brings something new and we're going to bring entertainment to this. Uh, and that's the fundamental principle behind it. Um, Shane, interesting point there. I think you maybe heard me off mic to, uh, because I was off mic at that point, citing the kind of curling um, example. So I only watch curling once every four years, but when I watch curling, I, I really get into it. And I'm cheering, of course, for, for, the, for the GB team. Um, I mean, he's right that audiences are drawn to... Uh, I don't know what we could call them, proxy wars, <laughs> you know, ter territorial investment. I mean, you know, I can, I can probably, I mean, I, I like watching sports. I can probably watch any sport and, uh, you know, I will be drawn into a sport I know little of if if I've got an interest in seeing my, my country do well. If that sport is easy to understand, I think that's the key. Curling, something just sort of slides along the ground and stops. Pretty simple sport. <laughs> you try and get you try and get people into cricket. You try and get people to understand, you know, cricket and silly mid off, and you, it's, it's going to struggle. Look, at this point in time, Swift is still a training platform. That's what we've seen. We're yet to see it be an entertainment platform. It, they've tried, and they've like you've got different camera angles to select, and we've tried to jazz it up. Uh, it's not quite there though. At the moment, if you open Twitch or Mixer or YouTube or Facebook, no one's really streaming indoor cycling. Though the same could be said, no one's really streaming curling either, but that's easy to understand. There's years of talk about this upswing in regards to who will watch this. I think it needs to be really crafted to something that someone can look at straight away and within a few seconds understand what they're seeing. If you're seeing people get points or win a race and their avatar has this 10,000 mile death stare and no expression and there's no arms waving, and there's no, it's going to be kind of weird to explain, oh no, they just won a world championship, but they're looking pretty bored in there. It just needs just a few tweaks. It can get there, but this is the, one of the big hurdles first to get over. Yes, and we've discussed this often, haven't we? Um, and, and I think Zwift concede that you know there's there's a way to go on this, Nathan. Um, but but Craig made all the right noises, you know, entertainment, backstories, adding narrative. You know, it will again a direct quote. It will be more than just avatars on screen, but but we need to see that happening now. I think, don't we, or at least some evidence of it. So two things, I'm like like you said, I'm pulled in to watching EG because they're in a U.S. team. Evil Geniuses is in a U.S. team. I watched CSGO yesterday, and I was cheering for EG. It was the U.S. team beating the top dog or whatever, right? So I have this thing like with that, obviously, um, and everyone does. Like you said, you watch Great Britain when you, you know, any kind of Olympic sport, and you're cheering that on. Um, but I don't think we can get to that point until we hit a certain threshold of people who even know what. Zwifting is who have participated in it. I think and, that, and are and are able to understand what they're seeing and are able to understand it. And yeah. I think yeah. that there's a certain level of understanding in every single household sport that's out there because either participation through proxy through a family member or participation directly. All of this, not all, but almost almost all of these Zwift community live broadcasts or esports broadcasts that we have done so far, I think have mainly been watched by people who Zwift. 
And so there, you, you need to understand what's going on here um, when you're participating in watching something because you are doing it from like, I'm almost living through their eyes. Wow, how amazing that was. You're, you're trying to, and so, you know, yesterday, 250,000, 300,000 people watching Overwatch finals. Do you think that that's people who haven't played Overwatch? No, it's just a huge game that's been really successful and they made a sport off of people that participate in it. So I think that there's a reality that in order for us to get this household sport thing as an entertainment value, people need to know you can even watch Swift. I don't even think like half, three-fourths of the community even know that like watching people do Zwift is, is really a thing or where to find it and stuff like that, you know? So I think that there's a lot of leverage of the current. And then what's the subscriber base? You know, what, Shane, what was the stat you sent me the other day on, on, on Fortnite? What, what was the, you sent me like 250 million new? It was so, insane. It was right. probably two to 300 percent, oh, actually two to 3,000 percent different than Zwift. So yeah, this is the, the, the subscriber base of where these viewers are coming from is massive. That, exactly. So more people. Of where the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So more people from the pools. So to get that kind of pool or even just a very small percentage of that, it's going to be tough, but so, if we can build it, build it to be entertaining, it can be get there. It can get well, a little bit there, which is all it needs. So more subs, more people um, getting, you know, into the, into Zwifting will end up being more viewership. And then also we're not even like selling Zwifting right now as sport until now we were selling it as training platform before. Right. So now it's like, it's like two times removed where it's like, Oh, just a training platform. And that's what it's being sold as to all the subscribers. Well, if we grow the subscriber base and start selling it as a sport, I think things will change in that respect as far as who will watch it because the expectation has changed to a competitive platform. I think the other point that, that Craig mentioned, which will be significant is, um, I mean, we saw a step change in, in, in the coverage of, of competitive Swifting in the British national championships. But I look back on that um, the other day, actually, just for an exercise. And um, it was terribly sterile because there was nobody in the studio apart from kind of crew and, you know, um, uh, guys on bikes that, you know, it was all a bit clinical. What I'm getting around to saying is there was no baying, cheering, whooping live audience. And, I think you know, Craig made the point that live audiences make a difference. You know, arenas full of people who you can see are engaged in this and are a partisan and are, and are cheering for their, their their favorite or their hero. You know, again, that, that that is an element that needs to be introduced as soon as possible to the to the, to the big events to, to 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 convey the excitement that uh, that the, you know, competitive twisting is 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 fun. You know, is is fun and hard work and. They're not going to suffer like those guys did, perhaps on the final climb in, <coughs> excuse me, the sixth hour of a torrential rainstorm. But um, people still suffer. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, just another couple of, um, of of topics to consider. Um, here's here's a really interesting one, and, and I know it's one that um, you you've raised presciently um, uh, previously, Shane, and that is. If this does become a sport, who is going to own it? I mean, quite obviously, Zwift have made the biggest pitch here. Um, but the UCI can't hand virtual cycling to Zwift um, unopposed. Uh, you know, Zwift, uh, if they do own this, they can have to earn that ownership. So I was interested to ask Craig what that process might be and what it might look like and what the timelines are. Here's what he said about it. We're in a fortunate position at Zwift to have started this journey 
and to have started building a program. So we've been running professional races, which we did in January. We've already run national championships. We've partnered with people like the Giro d'Italia and run exhibition races. We've got an existing program, a race series that's taking part today. Naturally, that's going to evolve, and this is a, a key journey for us, a key next step in that journey for us with, with um, the federations. Uh, but to, to, to bring it back to, I think, the, the crux of, of, the, of the topic and the conversation is, you know, it is an agreement which is short term because we have to establish this. No one else is going to do it uh, other than ourselves at this moment in time. And beyond 2020, uh, we just have to make sure that we put ourselves in the best position to partner with the UCI and the other federations in that space. Should it come to an open process? So the intention is that it would be an open process from the UCI's perspective. And uh, we just need to make sure that we are um, putting a compelling proposition forward that allows us to fulfill our ambitions. Uh, because everyone at Zwift is fully behind this and I know everybody in the, in the racing community on Zwift and whether they're with us today or whether they're going to be with us in the future, um, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, so to summarise, Shane, um, you know, basically this is a, an exclusive deal over one year, and after that it will be opened up to tender. Now this is really, really, really interesting because as we've discussed on the Zwiftcast before, I think as objectively as we can, given that we are all fans of Zwift, the, the rivals have not really made much of a dent in Swift's dominance. I mean, I think that's just an objective fact. And one of the reasons they've not been able to do so is because I think they struggle to attract the levels of investment that Zwift do because Zwift is so far ahead. And if you go to a VC and say, give me, you know, $100 million because I want to be nearly as good as Zwift, you know, it's not a great pitch. I think this potentially changes that. Hmm. This is very interesting. Look, look, like let's make let's make no mistake of this. This is marketing for Zwift to showcase their commercial offering, to get more subscribers, of course, of course. on the yep. platform. Um. So that's that's sort of where I'll start from with that. And when it comes to the tendering coming out um, the, in the following year, I think Zwift will defend that territory very, very let's say businessy. Now I'm talking sort of Sagan pushing Cav into the uh, the barriers kind of defence, um, <laughs> but I don't think the competition is even that close. That's the unfortunate part. Now this is not a to bad. That's not what happened there. That is not even close. To- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but elbows were involved. Um, we just don't know whose elbow did I, what. I think the analogy I'll use is Zwift are on a hundred k breakaway and no one's chasing. They really aren't. Why? <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. it's it's going to be interesting though. The UCI willing to make a a big boy decision, big person decision these days um, to make it fair, about, again, about fair play and fair use. And that's all going to be the same with the contracts that go in. Um, nothing comes close yet though. Will we see anything next year? I don't know. But I think Swift will get quite aggressive behind the scenes because if they're establishing all these this foundation, which is going to be a massive deal. Now, not just foundation in rules and regulations. This is going to require hardware as well. Um they're going to defend that pretty hard. Look, it's not a bad thing. We love Zwift. It's a Zwift cast. Um, but mm. as for the other players, where does that place them? And how will the UCI deal with them? Um, will it be lawsuits? Will it be, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of jumping ahead of myself here. It will be a competitive tendering process, won't it? And you can expect Zwift. As I think Craig acknowledged, I think he said something like, we must be in the best position to be the platform of choice beyond 2020. Well, yeah, obviously, of course they are, because they're investing very, very heavily in this. 
and it you know it wouldn't be a surprise Nathan to see Zwift come out on on top in in the competitive tendering open tendering process that follows 2020. No, not at all. Um, I'm going to say this though that uh, I'm going to use Shane's um, analogy there. On a 100k breakaway, um, they've done the training so far. Everybody else hasn't, you know. Uh, the Peloton is on the way, maybe, and Hang we on, have no Peloton? idea. Which I don't Peloton? think we've even <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, well the anyway, is the, the main group breakaways. Do yeah, get and the main exactly, and the main group at this point, I don't think we've seen who's there. Ooh. I don't think we have with the UCI on board, with the UCI on board, official Olympic esports growing like mad. It's time to get your freaking training on. <laughs> it's time to take this seriously. No, I'm not kidding. Yeah. It's time yeah. to take this seriously because I think the people who are actually sitting in that Peloton are the people who are who are investing in esports right now and backing off of NFL and all those other places. I know of huge investors, podcasts and stuff I listen to, who are just letting money sit in other sports and are putting big money into Overwatch, PUBG, Apex, all of these other places. Those are the people now that this is official. We better be well-trained and way, way ahead of the game, way ahead of where we are right now. That's for dang sure. If we're not going to get caught very quickly by Epic or EA, EA Sports, we're in the game. That's their tagline, right? Like you don't think now that this is Olympic and there's a tendering for it, watch out if they pay any attention. So I don't know if this is even going to make it into the Swiftcast because there's dangerous information. <laughs> no, 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 like, no, 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 like, no, it's, no, I, I can assure you it, it is going to make it in, but, you know, because we all, we discuss these things openly. I mean, for me, in some senses, I think Zwift have almost made their own job harder by having this success. Because as I, as I said in the intro to this 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 uh, discussion, the topic of the uh, discussion of this topic, is that it's been a really, really hard pitch to raise money for rivals before because they're effectively, I mean, I'm sure they don't say this in their pitch, but they're effectively, uh, you know, uh, asking for money to be, no, they're not asking for money to be second best, but they're asking for money to invest, to try to catch a competitor who is, you know, a ludicrously long distance ahead. Now the kind of destination, if you like, has changed a bit. Really, because because there's a, there's now a second destination, you know, which which is possibly the platform of choice for for the Olympic Games. That I am absolutely certain makes a difference when the rivals are pitching to to, to get money to invest. I, I I'm absolutely certain it will make it make it whether it makes a difference to the outcome. I don't know, but it certainly strengthens their pitch. And really you know what if uh, what if I'm what if I'm overstating this right like our our epic and all of these other bigger you know developers game developers even going to think that this is a place that they can sell a product you know there is a reality that they're like well that's not our user base and whatever you know what I mean in the same way that Zwift looked at that and was looks at that kind of right now and says five to ten years out those guys will maybe ride bikes but right now most of them are 15 years old and don't care, you know, or, or 15 to 25 and they're not really indoor cycling until they put on the freshman 15. So whatever, you know, so um, maybe I'm overstating that, but there is a reality that there's a lot on the line now. And if somebody who's a bigger developer is like, whoa, there's something here and we want to be an Olympic sport, you know, they could really quickly tune up those engines because they've already got the training in place on how to make competitive esports. So, yeah. Yeah. But you know, the threat might not come from those guys, Nathan, the threat might come from a newly revitalized 
you know, regrantors or someone who who says, you know, well, suddenly we've got, you know, we've got an extra string to our bow when we're pitching to to raise the money that they so clearly desperately need to, to get anywhere close to Zwift. Yeah. Anyway, really, really interesting. And I think it is also not insignificant, by the way, that if you look closely, uh, and this is public knowledge, uh, I'm not reaching any confidence here, if you look closely at the the, the, the new investors in the last funding round um, that Zwift are involved in, uh, th- there's a lot of eSport credibility there, a lot. Um, that That is clearly... Uh, no accidents. Okay, well, this is the last um, the last topic. Um, uh, on my script, it says, what if it fails as a kind of summary of, of, of this topic? And, and I guess that, that's what this is about, really. Um, the ambition is to be to be hugely applauded. The, the, the work that they put into this already is to be hugely applauded. The money clearly exists. The willingness clearly exists from the UCI to make this work. But it remains a gamble. Uh, it definitely, definitely remains a gamble. So I asked Craig uh, that question, really. What what happens if it if the gamble doesn't pay off? If this project fails, and I hope it doesn't, because I've long been a fan of okay. Swift Racing, okay. but if this project fails, Craig, does it jeopardise the company? Uh, Swift itself? Look, I mean, the foundations of this business were to make indoor training fun. And that was established in 2014. But it wasn't Zwift and the people who sit in the office at the headquarters of Long Beach who started to come up with racing. And it was, it was people who were part of Zwift. It was the community. It's the community that started this thing. They started racing on their own terms. Uh, unfortunately, because it takes time to build a platform like this, the tools and the means of racing didn't exist, but people still did it. You know, they were doing it and delivering it on their own terms. So I believe there's, there's always going to be a future for racing. You put someone on a bike, if they've got a competitive spirit, they're going to want to race. And the environment that we have, um, at, you know, the maps, the courses, the worlds that we develop, uh, naturally people will race. I would, you know, just trying to flip what you're saying here is, this is actually about creating more and better tools for our community, because partnering with someone like the UCI, delivering a world championships, it allows us as a business to invest in ways that we've never been able to do before because there's just a different commercial structure behind it. You've got things like media rights, you've got sponsorship, you've got money coming in from third parties and it's not just on Zwift to build and develop this thing. So we take the benefits of delivering high profile racing, but I said it, you know, earlier on, it's not just about elite racing. This is about racing that's available to everybody. You know, whether you're cat A or, you know, cat B, cat C, cat D, whatever age you are, male and female, you know, um, the opportunity exists. And what we just need to make sure is that although you have this high profile execution for something like a world champs and it, and it will really, um, It'll profile what Zwift Racing is all about. But my role, my fundamental role, is to make sure that anything that we're doing in that environment is, a, is of benefit to the community. So when, you, when we start thinking about how do we deliver points races, elimination races, um, time trial races, all the things that the community is doing today, they're doing it, but we're not making it easy yeah. for them. We're making it, it's actually quite difficult. And the... The, there's a lot of passionate people who ride on, who ride on Zwift. Uh, they go beyond the call of duty um, to, to do this themselves. Um, but what we want to do is give them the tools to make it easier. But this is a means 
of, of investing into this area to allow us to give the community its tools to race on its own terms. So I think what you're saying is that this will enhance rather than threaten the, 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 the experience of, of, of the Zwifter who doesn't race. Yeah, absolutely. And Okay, well, you've given me lots of time and there's people hovering, so I'll, I'll draw this one to a close. Uh, thanks very much indeed for, the, for your time, Craig. I, I think everyone would agree that, uh, and again, I'll use this, this word again, that what's been revealed here today is incredibly ambitious. Thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you. Um, Shane, I think he countered that uh, rather negative um, negative thought from me by saying, well, it, it's not going to fail if we've got anything to do with it, but it doesn't threaten the rest of Swift or Zwifters uh, who are not interested in racing because all this will do, this all this process will end up doing is it enhancing the rest of the game. Um, difficult to challenge that, I think. Yeah, uh, my question I have was, is Zwift Esports a separate company? Because if so, and it fails, then no harm, no foul. Zwift just sails on. Is it a yeah. tax write-off or something like that? I don't know. Um, there's a business yeah. side of things behind the scenes there. But for me, at this point in time, what we've seen, Zwift is a training platform and people like myself will continue to use it. If all this esports stuff just goes away, I don't think a pl training platform can fail. If we had to go back to Jarvis Island, it'll still succeed. We'll sit there riding past the guy with a banjo, doing our intervals, um, um, I, I, Zwift can't fail, which I think is uh, an interesting position to be in. But um, yeah, as Nathan said, that really got me thinking about the last topic there as well, that uh, now that it's an Olympic sport, who else is there going to sort of look in this direction? So even yeah, though we, yeah. we see it as not being able to fail, um, yeah, they've got to be sharp, sharp as a razor. Yep, yep. The stakes are certainly higher. Um, and Craig was at pains, Nathan, to point out, I mean, he used the word community a lot throughout that interview, actually. But he did say, you know, this is this will be a benefit to the community. It's, you know, it's a means of investing in in the racing and the competitive side of, of Swift. Um, again, without kind of, uh, you know, swallowing the company line whole, I, I do think it's difficult to challenge that. Yeah, 100%. That was actually really appreciated when I listened to the uh, interviews that you did, how much he said community was super, super yeah. awesome to hear. Like I saw all the announcements and to be honest, I was a little bit like, everyone's like, good job Zwift in the comments, Zwift, Zwift, Zwift. And I was like a little bit like, ah, oh, in my heart, because I knew how many people over the last four to five years have put in so much of their time, late nights on the week. They got a real, t they got a job during the day. Like how many people helped make this community what it is and how much they wanted Absolutely. this the community started racing, which tells you there's a desire there for it without it even being offered as a prospect, right? You jump into any Absolutely. other- And, and Craig, Craig, Craig was very generous in his acknowledgement of that throughout that interview. A hundred percent. And that actually like, that brightened me up a whole bunch actually once I heard that because I understood what the sentiment was on site. You know what I mean? You see some announcements and it's really like glittery and big taglines and, and titles. And then you hear- what the CEO of esports is saying about where this actually came from. And I was like, that's so great to hear about because he's right though. It's that it's been desired for, from the moment we jumped on Jarvis Island, people were racing immediately. Like, so, yeah, yeah. so yeah, there's yeah. just a reality <laughs> that I think it's, it, it, it's been really, really sought after. And that because of that, you have a really good place, a really good platform to grow off of. 
is because it's so sought after. Now that now that it becomes an offering, I think that there's going to be um, that much more growth that can happen. And I'm I think it's kind of right. Like it's proven if it's if it's offered right as a product, it can't fail because it's been so desired and, and so sought after by a community when before it was even a thing to be able to really do officially. So I think, you know, yeah. once it's more out there in the public, you know, right now it's like third party websites and you got to find it, Facebook groups and all that stuff. You log in, here's competitive rank, boom, go. Here's what you got to do to be able to yeah, participate. Yeah. I think it'll actually take off a lot quicker than people think. And, and you're right. You know, that pent up demand is there. The pent up demand for an efficient, effective, entertaining racing platform definitely exists and and swift can take advantage of that much as they did when they launched the, the first product all those years ago now four or five years ago the pent-up demand you know there were ten thousand requests to join the beta you know because that pent-up demand was there so that same pent-up demand definitely exists for racing um so yeah, uh, all power to Zwift's elbow. I know how much work has gone into this and I actually know something of how much work lies ahead and, and it's an awful lot. And that was an awful lot of talk about all that. So for the people who aren't interested, I, I, I do apologize, but I do think we're right to cover it in, in such depth because this is without doubt the most important thing that Zwift has done, uh, at least in a big strategic sense, since they launched the platform. I mean, it really, really is that big. And I'm sure we'll return to it. So uh, thanks for bearing with us, listeners, if you saw it through uh, this far. I know, I know we spent a lot of time on it, but, but I've, I've, I've outlined the reasons why I think that was the right decision. And that's pretty much it then for this episode. There are a couple of other little things that we can just, uh, we can just change the subject on, and uh, uh, one of those is not unrelated, perhaps, guys, and that's Peloton went public last week. Uh, on the New York Stock Exchange, it listed at twenty-seven dollars a share, I think, or was it twenty-nine? Can't remember. Something around that range, but it did drop back uh, around ten percent from there last time I checked. Um, uh, some quite interesting stats came out as part of the IPO process. We now know they have just over six hundred thousand subscribers in total, and we also know they're currently losing a shed load of money. Um, Shane, that, that subscriber total, I mean, it's not enormous, is it? Yeah, but when you think about most of those having a $2,000 US bike attached to that as well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a lot of yeah, money. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, I would imagine you were first uh, first at the queue on Wall Street when, they, uh, when the bell opened the trading session, weren't you, buying Peloton shares? <laughs> <laughs> not even close i mean uh very broad and slightly aggressive but in all all, all pockets as far as my shares go um i go the long term like let it retirement but anyways um you know i as far as the peloton thing the fad thing there with with you know indoor cycling i don't know like i think independence is a thing and um, being able to control like how you're doing your indoor cycling is a thing. And it, it it's not like spin, in my opinion, spin did spin off of mm. cycling mm. in general. And so like, uh, you know, it did, it did grab a lot of gym people, people who were just wanting to get a workout at the gym and, and then kind of got into cycling a little bit, but it always kind of played on cycling still a little bit. And usually had people who are hardcore cyclists running the classes in some sort of a way. So I just think, um, I think that the independence that comes with modernization of indoor cycling um, and not having to have this big, huge spin bike and just the inefficiencies of spin bikes, in my opinion, when it comes to training, 
I, I do think it is a little fa- bit of a fad. It, you know, maybe it lasted a little longer than it should have. You know, yeah. So well, that, well, that's the question. Yeah, that's the, that's the question when when they when they launch on the public exchanges. You know, is this a, a solid foundation on which to build a business? And and the question that lots of kind of critical commentary around around the IPO was asking was, you know, is spin a fad? You know, I, I mean, we can absolutely establish that cycling is not a fad. You know, cycling has been around for many, 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 many years, and it would be a foolish person who said it's not going to be around for a good deal many more years. Spin is kind of different. Um, it, it, it could be a fad. Um, but we shall see. We shall see. Um, the, uh, the share price perhaps will be one indication of uh, for that and i'm sure we'll, we'll all be keeping an eye on it as as uh, as time goes on shane now i know you're saving this quite rightly for your for your own channel your own excellent channel on youtube uh, your main way of of communicating your thoughts to the world and and you should save save it mostly but there's a huge <laughs> amount talking of, of pent-up demand um there's a huge amount of pent-up demand to know what you think about the 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 kicker bike. Uh, we know you've got one, unlike Ray, who Ray Maker, who unfortunately has got his uh, arrested in customs. So um, I, I will, and Nathan will, and I'm sure the audience will understand if you don't want to give everything away. But can you give us any impression so far, just general stuff? Yeah, it looks so far so good, which is a lot better than any other smart bike that I've had to date. Um, no, really good. Like the, I've gone through the adjustability of the thing, or first of all, the building and putting it together, which wasn't too bad. Definitely a two-person job um, to get it in the house. One person can wrangle it themselves and get it uh, get it built. Mm. The adjustability is amazing because you've also got like, – so everything, there's six points of adjustment plus the thing actually tilts. So – if you can tilt the bike down, you can actually get a more aggressive position. So there's so many ways to adjust the thing. So even getting my fit to it took a while because it, it gave me the figures, the generic figures, and they were close. I got the measuring tape out and got them close again. And then I was sort of tinkering around and got it even better myself. So there's so much stuff to do for the fit. Um, but the ride feel, everyone wants to know about the ride feel. Is it like riding yeah, a bike? How does it ride? Yeah. Well, my bike has stayed in the garage for the last week. And this has stayed in place. Mm. So I jumped on the hump day ride and went, you know what? I'm just going to ride this bike. Let's see how it goes. If it's a terrible experience, I'll just pull the pin. I lasted the hump day ride and lasted the race. I think I got top 20 or so on the last lap. And I was like suffering on the bike and slamming down through the gears and out of the saddle sprinting. And it was, I sort of looked down and went, oh, that's right. I'm on this bike. I'm not on my own bike. So the ride feel is very familiar. And one thing I did on the Harrogate course, uh, looping back to the UCI Worlds, is the very top of that climb, it's about a two and a half minute climb. And it's a really nice climb because it gets steep at the bottom and it sort of eases up. But by the time it eases up, you're really warmed up and you can really put out the power. But then it sort of crests over the top and you can slam down through the gears to keep the power up because you can see the banner. Now on the kicker bike, I was slamming down through the gears and it just just like did the thud, thud thud through the virtual gear change mm-hmm. and it was brilliant i could what for me it was about keeping the pressure on the pedals and the, the muscles just fully engaged and it allowed me to do that i didn't have to back off i didn't have to go to the big ring to the small ring or small ring to the big ring you could just slam down the gears thud 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 and i got to the top of the hill and went you know what that was about the effort the pure effort that i could do it wasn't about the hardware it wasn't about zwift it allowed me to have the experience that i needed for the best training which i'm like hang on this may be a game changer. I won't call it just yet the game changer. It's been pretty mm. damn good though. And the built-in climb, people say, oh, the kicker climb, I'm going to spend that much money on this. Is it, is it worth it? Is it a gimmick? Is it this or is it that? It's built into this thing. It just it just does it. And it just becomes normal now on this bike. Yeah. Um, I like it. Interesting. I like it so far. Interesting. So far. Mm. And no, 
again, I don't want to steal any thunder that you should quite rightly keep for your, for, 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 for your YouTube channel, but no, no big kind of, mm, I really don't like that moments. Ah, oh, look, to go... I've got a nitpick because obviously we can't be, nothing's going to be full well, of praise. Yeah. Um, erg mode has <laughs> erg mode power smoothing on by default, which means it sends what I call fake watts. So if you say, look, do 250 watts erg, um, by default, a kicker will do the same. You can actually toggle it off on the kicker and it will give you real watts. So it sets a false um, smoothed figure for your erg mode. So that's digital at the moment. That, that thing that sends the perfect graph. Correct. That, Correct. That you look at it and you think, I, I, I'm not convinced I'm not smooth. Which, yeah. in, like, comparing it to the pedals that I have on there, it's it's pretty accurate, but I want that up and down. I want a little bit of jaggedness. I want to be able to know exactly the power that I'm doing. And even in sim mode, it does something really interesting in sim mode. It's, it's super accurate in sim, but it's kind of smooth, kind of not, kind of jagged, kind of digital. Now, uh, more on this soon. I haven't done my right experience or a full data dive yet because I'm feeding this back to Wahoo saying, look, is this is what it's meant to be doing? Let me know. Is there an option to maybe make, you know, give us a toggle switch like we do on the uh, on the kickers? Um, but other than that, it's got cadence. It's got um, controllable train. It's got everything all in one, all in the Bluetooth, just hooks up, just works, just it, it does what it says it does. And that's the most important part. And the feel on the pedals is good. So hmm. happy days so far. And the tax bike arrives. Well, good. Well- well, that's good, good, good intel actually, and you know, I'm sure there's a huge amount of interest in your um, in your considered verdicts on uh, on this bike. Um, I want one. It's also stable in a sprint too. <laughs> People ask about the sprints yeah. because it only has the three legs. It has the two out the back and the one big long at the front one. It's full on, like you really, can go full really, on really like, well, right on, sweet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, and I'll, I'll video all that as well. So people are comfortable with knowing that it's going to hold up. I've just got to up yeah. my sprint. It's only about 1,200 watts at the moment. I'll try and get that to 1,300. We'll see. Oh, really? Oh, said <laughs> oh, oh, casually. Uh, so we've now got a man who stays permanently upright in the saddle, whatever, <laughs> whatever the conditions. And someone who just only knocks out 1,200 watts. Really. Okay, <laughs> I, you know, not that I'm feeling in any sense inadequate here. Yes, uh, I wanted. Well, Nathan, okay. do you want to kick a bike? I, I wanted one the moment I saw the <laughs> release, and then I was like, "What else is coming?" <laughs> like I was kind of mm. like, you know, I have that like so it being in um, a position during my whole pro, pro racing career that I didn't always necessarily have to ride whatever was given to me. I had a little bit more choice, so what to go after? I was pretty as mountain bikers were fairly independent. A lot of times, we don't have like always like a big team that we have to ride whatever so i'd always kind of go after whatever was best in the market and like uh in mountain biking that kind of gave you like three or four options though really and so uh i'm kind of waiting a little bit to see i don't know like that's a pretty big investment and um so anyways i I really do want one maybe maybe i'll have one of those and then also whatever else is there and be kind of cool to have like three or four set up and the whole family could Zwift kind of a thing against each other. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'll probably end up on one. I'll probably end up on one. So, okay. I mean, I've been racing a lot on Zwift lately too. So, um, which has been new and a lot of fun to get back into it. Okay. Well, um, time to wrap this one up. I think it's going to end up being a long episode because, um, because we did dwell uh, rightly, I think, but we did dwell on, um, on that very, very, very big news. Um, Shane, how's young Max? 
Uh, he's going very, very well. So six, 6 6.6 weeks old today. So the magical 6 hey. figure that we see in cycling <laughs> going around. Uh, so now going really well, sleeping well. He's uh, he's actually joined me on a few Zwift sessions because you know, the trainers aren't that silent. You can still hear the chain. It's a bit of white noise. So he sits next to me and watches me Zwift away. Um, and his legs are moving already. So I, I think we have to get him a bike. He won't quite fit the kicker mm-hmm. bike though. I think Von Mayer giving birth to a cyclist. Uh, Nathan, <laughs> presumably, uh, presumably his ECL is uh, is is continuing. I, I, I've, I've watched a couple of your recent broadcasts actually, and I've, I've forgotten how good you were, mate. <laughs> I appreciate that. We're, <laughs> well, we thanks, forgot about you forgot it. how good I was. What the heck is that? Is that a is that a compliment <laughs> no, no, or no, not? No, I'm not sure no, what that means. No, 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 it was. It really was. No, it was. I, just, I, I haven't watched much ECL recently, and I, I watched a couple of the other day. I thought. He's actually quite good at this. Isn't he? <laughs> oh man, it's so funny. I've only been doing it for a little while, right? Only been doing yeah, it for a little yeah, while. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So we're fusion is a big thing. The last race is uh, this Tuesday. So race number ten, fusion ECT. It's been a great series to cover. We've been doing the chop racing community focus. Uh, Test Labs has been on hold a little bit, but it seems like Zwift kind of like. It was like, well, that's a cool idea. And then we had the power up tour and I covered that all week long for the power for the uh, Yorkshire power up tour, which was really cool to see them using different power ups throughout uh, throughout the week in different races. So, yeah, ZCL is still going strong. Uh, we're looking at what to do for community racing. You know, with the announcement, it's kind of like, OK, what's community racing going to look like? What are the yeah, offerings yeah. going to be? So it's kind of like I have to just if I get too committed to things in the community, like, cause, cause you have these series that get put on like 10 race series and I'm like, yeah, I'll cover, we'll cover this and get talent lined up for it alongside me, get graphics and stuff. And we get all this stuff. And then Zwift's like, well, this is really cool over here and we're going to promote this. And I'm like, well, I got to cover that now. You know what I mean? So it's like, you got to kind of, uh, make sure that everything's aligned across the community and with Zwift. And so got to kind of wait to see what the official stuff is going to be for elevating community racing to certain levels of expectations. And then we'll probably focus more on those things. So um, I see that coming down the future, but yeah, uh, we're doing two or three broadcasts a week and uh, it's been really awesome to see uh, all of the personalities come forward in the series that we are covering work excellent work makers that you continue to do excellent work um okay well that is it for this one i was just checking the date but i think we can safely say actually guys with the world's over the outdoor season certainly now winding down i think there's only really one more big race outside worth watching that the indoor season october i think today if not today certainly tomorrow um the indoor season has definitely started uh, and Zwiftcast will be back covering it with more frequency than we did last year um, uh, uh, with the great help of my two excellent trusted colleagues for whom I uh, to whom I say thank you very much indeed for that long one, detailed one. Um, not much fun in that. Well, there was a bit of fun in that one, but uh, we were discussing serious matters. So Excellent. Okay. Uh, nice to hear from you both. See you next time. All right, cheers, guys. Cheers, thanks. And just some of the usual housekeeping in the usual place. And that's to say that whilst we're very grateful to the support we receive from Zwift for the podcast, that support doesn't influence anything we say during the Zwiftcast.